One question that seems to pop up over and over among private music teachers is, what am I supposed to do in a lesson when a student shows up having had very little to no practice? As a private piano teacher with more than 20 years of teaching experience, I've struggled with the same question off and on over the years. We want our students to make progress and feel like time isn't wasted. So when you feel like you're repeating the same material once again, yes, it's very easy to feel irritated and in turn, risk having the lesson take on a sour note. Ultimately, what do we achieve by letting that attitude take over? It doesn't really feel good for anyone to approach it with, okay, well, we're just going to have to do the same thing we did last week. So in today's episode, we're tackling 10 things that we can do to turn a potentially frustrating lesson into a positive musical experience. I'm Amy Chaplin, and this is the Piano Pantry Podcast. Do you ever have students come into lessons squirrely because maybe they just get out of school and haven't had a brain break, or maybe they want to spend five minutes telling you everything about their day? Try including a short little 30-second focus activity to bring them into the lesson time. It could be a short series of body stretches and movements you do every time, a series of echo patterns or playbacks, or even a brief listening activity. A few years ago, I came up with a fun chant-like activity that starts like this. Look to the left and right. Tilt your head side to side. Gentle twist from the waist. Body circles, that's the way. Lift your shoulders up, up, up. Let them go down, down, down. And it continues for several more phrases. I found this type of activity useful for any age, whether I was using it as a focus activity for younger students or simply touting it as a way to stimulate circulation, as Marvin Blickenstaff would say, for older students before diving into the lesson. If you're interested in checking out this particular activity I created, find it and more in the shop on pianopantry.com. Grab the link in the show notes. Not letting ourselves get frustrated when students come in and tell us they haven't practiced is something we'll probably always have to work at. Don't get me wrong, if it's something that's ongoing and habitual, that's a whole other topic for another time. What we're talking about today is the occasional time when students may have just had a busy week or were out of town since their last lesson or just didn't prioritize. Just the other day, I had a student tell me flat out they didn't practice much because they chose to play games instead. Rather than shaming them, I always begin by thanking them for being upfront and honest and taking ownership of those responsibilities. Then I assure them I'm not mad, it's not the end of the world, and there's always things that we can work on, all of which I'll share with you today. If we dig a little deeper, though, and if we're being honest with ourselves, I think it's possible that the frustration that comes up may not just be about that the students didn't make progress on a repertoire, but that deep down, we've been put on the spot to perform in a setting we weren't planning for. Am I hitting a nerve, maybe just a little? The good news is, as teachers, all we need is a toolbox of musical experiences we can pull out of our back pocket at the drop of a hat. 
Once you have all of these compiled and filed it away in your mind, or maybe even on a reference list you keep next to the piano, perhaps we can begin to look at it not just as an intrusion in our plan, but an opportunity to do things we perhaps don't normally take time to do because it's easy to just focus on passing pieces. Okay, so let's get this list going. Here we go. Number one, sight read. Anything. Sight reading is a super easy tool to pull out because you can keep a stash of sight reading materials all together right next to the piano. Some of my favorites include the four star sight reading series from the Royal Conservatory and the sight reading cards from Piano Safari. There's also a series of duet books out there by Wynne Ann Rossi and Victoria MacArthur called Get Ready that are duets with the students playing like either pent pentascales or major scales, minor scales, chords, or arpeggios and the, the teacher plays along. Now, I wouldn't recommend these with students that are like working on or just learning scales, but you would wanna play things that they're pretty confident with already. You don't even really need special materials to do this though. You could just pull out books that are, uh, that are a couple of levels below their playing level and have them sight read actual repertoire. By the way, all the examples you're here today, you can find in a blog post on pianopantry.com. It will all be linked for you in the show notes, so don't worry about pulling over or hitting pause to write it down. All right, number two, practice reading various textures. For some of your more advanced students especially, keep some old hymn books around or even some choral scores on hand and have them practice reading two, three, and four part choral scores or editions. Number three, do some improvising. Books like Forrest Kinney's Pattern Play series are nice to keep on hand just to give you some easy frameworks to start with. For younger students, you can just have them like maybe write out a four story line or pick an animal or something and give them parameters in order to create. So have them decide, okay, so for this story, do you want to play loud or soft, fast or slow? And on what part of the piano? And it doesn't have to be for the whole story. Maybe it's just the first line of the story, and then they change different elements for each part of the story. Number four, play some games or do some flashcards. This is probably one of the easiest or most obvious things next to sight reading that we can do. Um, just use something that reinforces musical concepts that they have just learned or are kind of in the progress of learning deeply. You could practice an app like Note Rush, Staff Wars, or Ningenious, or pull out a special piano game. I know I use Note Rush with most of my students almost a little bit at every lesson, just like 30 seconds, one go through. And so sometimes my students, when they get extra time, they love doing some of the apps that we don't do on a normal basis, like Ningenious. It might even be a good time for you to pull out a game that you usually reserve for group classes. I know I have some games that I just don't ever pull out in a regular lesson because they just take too long to complete when I'm wanting only like a, you know, three minute game to do. So this could be a great opportunity to do some of those longer games. Number five, teach them some new practice techniques. Maybe you spend half the lesson doing some of the things that we're talking about here, but then you spend half of it just working with them on how to practice. Maybe you give them a game or a certain activity that they can do at home to change it up. A lot of times what I like to do is just simply ask students, hey, show me how you would normally practice this piece. Of course, a large majority of the time, they're probably just going to play through it and say, oh, I played through it two or three times. So instead of just saying, well, that's not really how we practice, 
just say, hey, I want to challenge you to do something a little different with your practice this week. How about practicing it backwards? And then instead of just telling them to practice it backwards, actually practice that in the lesson time. Walk them through the process of playing, say, the last four measures, and then the last six measures, and then the last eight measures, and they're continually adding on and working from the end of the song instead of the start of the song. Number six, this is a fun one, switch roles. Back in the day when I used to sit on a, like a roller swivel chair, my students especially loved this. They love switching roles and becoming the teacher. I always gave them one good swirl and then they were done and <laughs> they had to stay stationary. But what you can do is play a piece at their level or a little below that they don't know and make intentional mistakes along the way and tell them that they need to listen and watch the score and tell you what it is that you could improve. They get to be the teacher. Did you miss incorporating dynamics? Did you play the wrong rhythm in measure number three? Did you play at the correct tempo marking? Enlist them to be engaged and active listeners. Number seven, perform for your students. You might think this maybe is a little strange, but how often do our students really ever get to hear us play? They might hear us play their pieces, but what about at our level? Take five minutes of the lesson and just perform a piece for them. For some of my older students, I like to ask them to be sure that they're following along the score as best that they can, and then I'll stop randomly and see if they can point out where I am in the piece. You can talk to them about things that they heard, like maybe they're in awe of how much sound you can get out of the piano, and you can talk about how they too can get a beautiful loud tone by playing with good arm weight and so forth, so it can open up a conversation. Number eight, practice harmonizing or transposing. Choose simple tunes that use like tonic and dominant harmonies to begin and just sing the tune while playing around with adding um, chords, whether that's just chord roots, um, like the single chord tone or like playing a root position chord in the right hand and a chord root in the left hand or using like your chord progression shapes for the one, four, five. Um, there is a download on the pianopantry.com website of a whole 147 tunes to harmonize that has lots of tunes, um, beginning on tonic and dominant, and then using the one, four, five. And I think it also moves into, um, using like the one, six, four, five as well, or just take some short sight reading exercises, or maybe, um, one line of one of the pieces that they're working on and practice transposing it into two or three different keys. All right, number nine, we are coming into the end stretch. And I love this one. Have musical conversations with your students. Maybe do a series of oral rhythm pattern echoes, like four beat patterns, ba, 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 and have them echo you. And then have them play that rhythm on one key, ba, 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 ba. And then have them create a little melody. Like you could do a question and answer phrase thing together where, okay, I'm going to create, use that rhythm pattern to create a question and you give me a musical answer. Ba, 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 ba. And then they answer something like ba, 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 or something like that. Um, you could even practice doing some playback patterns using like chord progression, um, harmonic shapes. So tonic patterns, do, mi, so, and maybe you sing that pattern and then they play it back. 
so do me, me so do. Okay, do fa la, or so fa re, so fa re ti, and have them play back patterns using chord structures. So many things that we can do with that. Um, okay, number ten, play I Spy. So grab a stack of music and have them randomly open to a piece, then quiz them on the score. How many measures are there? Where's measure number 19? How many low C's do you find in this song? What key is it in? This is in harmonic minor tonality. How do we know that? Well, we see accidentals in the piece and that's the seventh note of the scale. It's the raised seventh, which tells us that we are in harmonic minor. How many F-sharps are in the song? Find a single eighth rest on beat number four. How many times does the song change key? Or how many times do the dynamic changes? Um, how many times do the dynamics change? Sorry, I said that back backwards with my plurals. Again, there are so many different ways that we can create a rich musical environment. And this list is just the beginning. Whatever activity you choose, Remember that our main goal is to embrace what could easily have been a negative experience and turn it into a successful and joyful musical one. Thanks for sticking around to hear today's tiny tip. I wanted to share something with you that I've been doing recently that has really helped me feel organized in my day and that is to visualize myself going through the day. The best time to do this is at the end of the day prior, going into the next, whether that's right before bed or in the evening sometime. Just visualize your entire day starting with your morning routine. So just getting out of bed, brushing your teeth, starting the coffee, maybe unloading the dishwasher or starting a load of laundry or whatever it is that you do first thing in the morning. Maybe it's practicing think through things like what your meal plans might be, what your work schedule is going to look like, and projects that need to be on the priority list and completed. Of course, life happens and it's certainly realistic to realize it may not exactly work out the way that we visualize it, but it's been really interesting to see how crucial it's been, especially in helping ensure that the highest priority items are done and completed and not delayed by busy work. So give it a try. It takes almost no time or effort and yet can help achieve great results. See you next week.